Well, good morning, church. For those of you that are visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I've been a pastor here for about 11 years, and it's my privilege to fill the pulpit on most Sundays. For those of you that are joining us uh, online, we appreciate you being here so much and look forward to you being in the sanctuary as soon as you possibly can. We are on in a sermon series, um, I don't know, fifth, sixth week of that, something like that, uh, that we're calling Next Steps. Everything in life we do is step by step. We do very, very, very little in life in leaps and bounds. And that's actually good news because sometimes if it was all by leaps and bounds, the, the, the long way I may have to go uh, could be intimidating for me if I want to be a better tennis player, but I'm, I've got to get so much better. And how am I going to ever get that much better? I just have to worry about taking the next step. And it's the same thing in anything you do, and it's the same thing in the Christian life. Uh, you may feel like, I've just got such a long way to go, and I'm just, and I wish I'd got started earlier and all of that. The only thing you need to worry about is step by step, the next step that you take with God, and God will meet you there. And you will go with him step by step. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about a necessary component to moving forward with God, uh, a necessary component to, to stepping forward with God. And no matter where you are in your Christian journey, uh, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're listening online and you're not a Christian yet. You haven't taken that, that step of choice, that step of decision uh, to claim Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. There's only two things people can do with their sins. They can try to be good enough themselves and, and uh, try to work them off themselves, or they can be able to put them on Jesus. And Jesus has said, I need you to put those on me. And if you haven't done that, you can do that today, right here in this service. It's not a, it's not a huge thing like you've got to come forward and have a bunch of people pray for you. You can do it right where you're sitting, and you can make the choice to receive Christ become a Christian, born again, whatever type of, of terminology you want to put on that. So I don't know where you are today, maybe not a Christian, maybe new in the faith, or maybe have been along the way 5 and 10 or even 30 and 40 years, no matter where you are on the Christian journey, for you to move forward with God, you need to move forward in prayer. Now, I don't mind uh, admitting to you that even now as a... Um, been a Christian since 1993, so that is what, 29 years, almost 29 years, something like that. Even as a, a 29 or almost 29-year-old Christian, there are so many things about the Christian faith that are mysterious to me that I don't understand, that I don't have an answer for. And actually, that's an encouraging thing for me because if um, I knew all about God, then he'd have to be a pretty, pretty puny little God. Uh, for get my pea brain to be wrapped totally around him. Uh, some people say that they, they, they can't become a Christian because they don't understand fill in the blank. They don't understand this. They don't understand that. Well, friends, that's pretty arrogant. And I understand that because uh, that is a secular way of looking at that. But man, who is God that we should understand all about him? I mean, how small a God would he be if I could totally grasp why he does this and why he does that and how he does this and how he does that, um, uh, his ways are beyond our ways. And he has revealed much to us. He's revealed all that we need to know to be able to walk with him. But there are some things that he has chosen not to reveal or maybe he cannot reveal to us. Cannot. Because there's just no way we could grasp it. So I hope you're okay with mystery. Because there's a lots of areas of the Christian life that we simply have to take by faith. And he says to us in his word that without faith we can't please him. Aren't you pleased when your little children take something, mom or dad, that you say and they take it because you're mom and dad. They don't understand it but they believe it because you're mom and dad, because you're the authority figure in their life. You feel trusted. You feel honored when they do that. You feel respected. And how much more it would be for God as we can't understand the way that he does things, but we will accept them, we will take them that way because he's the authority figure 
in our life. Now, when we come to talk about mystery, for me, prayer is a big mystery. It's, it's, there's a lot of things that are mysterious about prayer for me. You know, people have a prayer concern, and, and they'll start sharing it with a lot of people, and, and, and so they get 50 people praying, get 100 people praying. Get, I've heard people say, I get people praying. I've got people praying all over the country for me, and some people know people all the way around the world. I've got people all the way around the world praying for me, and I, I think that's really good. I really do. But is that any more important than one person praying? Do you ever think about that? Is God the kind of God that says, well, it looks like to me like you got 97 people praying. If you get three more people praying. Well, it looks like to me like you got people praying in 47 of the states. If you can get somebody in Illinois, Nebraska, and Iowa to pray, then, then I'll come through and I'll answer. Hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't share prayer requests. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be prayer chains and all the things that we do as Christians. All that's well and good. But it's rather mysterious to me. Is God the God that's just waiting for us to get enough people praying? And once we got enough, however many enough is, he's never told us what enough is, then then he will answer. That, that bothers me if that's our God. That bothers me. Because I, I know the scripture that says the, the, the prayer of a single righteous person availeth much. Prayer's a mystery to me. Sometimes if I get enough people praying, that's, that's almost about me. You know, I've sent out enough emails, I've sent out enough text messages, and I got, now I've got enough. That, that could be works. That could be about me. It could not be about God. I'm just saying it's a mystery to me. I'm not saying you shouldn't call a bunch of people and get them praying for you. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying you should, shouldn't post on, on, on Facebook. By the way, this, this morning, some of you know Jen Tao, and Jen's been going through issues now for three or four months with, with some problems that as she's been having, and, and she went into some mild seizures last night, and they took her to the ER, and, and they've, they found, uh, in Ben's words, some... Um, concerning images on the the cat scan and he didn't tell me what that was so ben puts it on facebook as he should and and as i shared it with a few of their friends this morning they said yeah we read it on facebook and that's good and that's purposeful and we should do that but is that better than just sharing it with his family and like his family's not enough to pray i know i'm the only one who thinks about these things Another mystery for me in prayer is, um, you know, there's a, there's a passage in James that says if, if uh, you don't have because you don't ask. James 4 something, and we'll, we'll, we'll be there sooner or later in, in, in our message today. But there are so many things that God has done for me that I never ask him to. God has done far more for me that I never ask him to than of what I did ask him. Far more. And that goes well with Scripture because somewhere in Ephesians it says that he is able to do exceedingly more than you could ever ask or imagine. So if God only does what we ask, and that's James 4 something, why has he done so many things for me that I've never ever asked him? I don't know, it's just a, there's just a lot of areas about prayer that are, that are mysterious, that are mysterious for me. One thing I do know about prayer is that it's an expression of faith and trust in God. It's, it's an expression of faith and trust in God. Does, does, does he only act when I pray? Well, no, because he's acted on my behalf a whole lot of times when I never prayed about that and done things for me. But when I do pray, it's an act of faith and trust in God. And that's a good position to put myself in. In a position of faith, in a position of trust, in a position of, of submission, in a position of neediness to him. That's a good thing 
when I pray and just confess my own neediness, that I can't get by by the seat of my pants, that I can't solve this on my own, and I share that with God and express my need for Him to undertake for me. I know, I don't know a lot about prayer, but I do know that it's an expression of faith and trust in Him. And, and, and the more that I know about Him, the more that I know about him, the more I know about his character, the more I know about his person, the more that it, it prompts me to pray. The more we know about God, the more we will pray. The more we know about his character. And that's why I think Luke 18 was given to us. Luke 18 is a parable that Jesus told. Now remember about parables. They're stories that Jesus made up. They really didn't happen. It's a story that he told to try to make a point, okay? And so that's important to know because he could have told this story any way he wanted to because after all, he was making it up. So what's in the parable is important. But it seems like in Luke 18, which is a parable about prayer, it seems like that, that Jesus is, is contrasting with, a, with an earthly judge with the heavenly Father himself and showing the difference that even if an earthly judge will do this upon request how much more your heavenly father would do that as well and and, and luke 18 the little parable there in eight verses teaches us about some things about the character of god and who he is the first two verses of luke 18 they they go this way and it's really really important parts of, of the whole parable because very few parables tell us why they're written but this one does it says jesus told <coughs> excuse me jesus told his disciples a parable to show them this is why he told it. This is what we're supposed to get out of this. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. That they should always pray and not give up. So, verse 2, he goes on and says, it starts the parable. Well, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. He neither feared God, and fearing God is a very good thing. I was writing some devotions for my next devotional this week. It was on the fear of God, and, and the fear of God is a very, very good thing. To fear God just means to take Him seriously. That's what it means to fear God, just, just to take Him seriously. It's, it's, not a, it's not a fear like we understand an earthly fear. It's to take God seriously. God is who He says He is. You take Him seriously. I took my dad seriously. Dad was who he says he was. And his hammer could come down on me at any time. And there was a certain healthy respect and fear I had for my dad. And that's not a bad attitude to have toward God. God is God. And so I take him seriously. But this judge, he neither feared God nor cared what people thought. He neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Now remember, the, the, the parable is to contrast the judge with the heavenly father. Jesus telling this to, to show the differences between this earthly judge and the heavenly father. And so, and so we know, because he, he's, he's pointing out he didn't care about people, he's pointing out that God is a God that literally, literally, and though he's the governor of all the universe and has the whole universe to guide and lead, God cares about you now that is christianity 101 but we need to be reminded of that so many times god cares about you and he wants to hear from you i'm often reminded of the of the parable of the prodigal son there was one lost sheep there was one lost coin there was one lost son and 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 the the widow turned the house upside down to find one lost coin the shepherd looked high and low for one lost sheep. And the father was looking a long way off for one lost son, even though he had another one. That one lost son. God is a God of the individual. He's got the whole world to be able to lead and guide, but he's a God of the individual. There was one lost coin in Luke 15. There was one lost sheep. There was one lost son 
Can I remind you of something that Jesus is saying here in contrasting the heavenly father with the earthly judge? God cares for you and he wants to hear from you. God cares for you and he wants to hear from you. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, beautiful, precious verse of Scripture. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. Sometimes I wonder about my mother who's 91 and living in a 14 by 14 room there in Elmcroft and not a whole lot left for to look forward to and mom's mad at me today because I didn't cancel church and the reason she's mad at me is because is she's in and out of her right mind and so she called me about a quarter to eight and she said that somebody tried to break into her room and and the police officer had to come and and obviously none of that ever happened And she's, I said, well, Mom, uh, Sue's, Sue's going to be right there. And you've got nurses there today, right? They're right there with you. Yeah, they're here with me. And Sue's, Sue's on her way. So I said, I'm at church, Mom. And uh, she goes, well, there's some reasons to cancel church. And then she hung up on me. <laughs> Mom is in and out of, of, of her right mind. But when mom's in her right mind, which she may be this afternoon when I go visit her, um, even though she's in a little 14 by 14 room, and God has not forgotten about her. And her mind won't allow her to remember that at all times. Her, God, her mind won't allow her to remember that. But God has not forgotten about her. And that maybe we never, ever forget that so simple truth that we were taught in Sunday school that God cares for us the, the judge didn't he didn't neither fear God or cared what people thought God cares and the contrast there between an earthly judge and the heavenly father the, the verse the parable goes on to say in eight in Luke 18 chapter 3 and there was a widow uh, verse 3 and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea kept coming to the judge Grant me justice against my adversary. So we're not told what that was all about, but the widow went directly to the judge. Now that would have been a no-no in that day and time. Women didn't go directly to the judge. They would have sent their husband, their father, their brother, their nephew. Some male figure would have had to have done this. So th this widow in her neediness goes herself. She was so needy, she had to do something that was totally out of the custom of the day because she was so needy. And so she uh, says, grant me justice against my adversary. And, and, and then the story continues. For some time he refused, but finally the judge said to himself, even, even though I don't fear God and care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. Remember the contrast now between an earthly judge and the heavenly father. Because she keeps pestering me, because she's bugging me, I got to get her off my back. So I'll, I'll, I'll see that she gets justice. So that she won't keep coming back. Can I tell you something? God never wants you to get off his back. Another human being may. You've told the same story to a, a girlfriend over and over and over and over again. And girlfriend's really trying hard to listen, you know. But we humans, we don't have the patience that God does. We can get impatient with one another. We can have exhibit some of the characteristics of the judge just to get her off of my back so she would stop pestering me. God's not that way. God wants to hear, even though it's the hundredth time that you've shared this, God wants to hear that. God wants to hear that. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And the 
unjust judge just said, hey, I'll answer. I don't want to, but I'll answer. And that contrasted with the Heavenly Father who wants to hear you, who, who doesn't get tired of you coming, who loves this expression of trust and love and relationship that we call prayer. In the very last verse of the parable, Jesus says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth and equates faith and prayer together there? So the whole thing's about prayer, right? And so he ends up with this thing, will he find, when, G when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? So, so prayer is an expression of faith. Prayer is an expression of trust, submission, I know that about prayer. I don't know a lot about prayer. It's rather mysterious to me. But I know that it's an expression of my faith in God. Because I know he can act and because I know that he wants to hear from me. And I know that I can't just, just go by the seat of my pants and handle everything on my own. I, I express my faith and trust in him. Martin Lloyd-Jones with a famous bib biblical interpreter of yesteryear several decades back and lloyd jones says this the key to great praying is a deep knowledge of who god is and a grasp of the doctrine of grace well i can't pray today because you know i haven't done you know i i skipped church last week you know i i haven't been living too good so i can't pray today I, there's been too much sin in my life you know you don't understand the doctrine of grace You've got to get your life cleaned up before God will hear you or wants to hear from you. You don't understand the doctrine of grace. The key to great praying is a deep knowledge of who God is and a grasp on the doctrine of grace. Well, I know I've, I've, I've asked forgiveness for this for, you know, I've done the, I've asked forgiveness for this for three years. And I, I still, I bet, I, you know, God's probably tired of hearing me. You don't understand the doctrine of grace. You don't understand a God who doesn't want to get you off his back. I've talked to God about this pornography. I know he doesn't want to hear me again. Key to understanding prayer and a good prayer life is a understanding who God is and understanding the doctrine of grace. You won't move forward in prayer until you... Know that God is God. So I've heard people say, well, you know, I wish I could pray like him. <laughs> wish I could pray like her. Can I say something very nicely? You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know zero about prayer if that's the way you think. <laughs> that you've got to say nice words and the appropriate words. And you've got to pray as good as her or you got to pray as good as him so god is a god that you have to say it the right way come on friends you don't understand god you got to say the words in the right way and besides what words are there they have to say that's why i don't necessarily like written prayers because God wants to hear you, not something somebody else wrote. You won't move forward with God in prayer until you understand who he is, his character, and that he's a gracious God. Before you, but so you will move forward in prayer, you must also learn that you've got to be able to pray quickly, silently, and instantly. Well, I wish I could pray like her. She, she just prays for hours. Can I tell you something? Your pastor doesn't pray for hours. I just can't. My mind starts wandering. I just can't. I, I just can't. I, maybe I should be able to. I don't know. And I don't, I don't think there's too many people that have the gift of prayer that you can linger in prayer. We always hold those people up to a pedestal and maybe they have a gift of prayer and we all other people have different gifts but prayer is 
How many people do you think can linger for hours in a prayer closet? Let's, let's get real here, friends. Are there some? I believe there are. I believe there are some that God has given a special gift of intercession. But I don't think 99% of Christians have it. And so if you're going to have a good prayer life, you need to learn to pray quickly, pray silently, and pray instantly. Because even if you can linger in prayer, even if you can linger in prayer for an hour, whew, I get up after my hour, well, I'm done with praying. <laughs> I did my hour. I did my thing. Even if I can linger for an hour, that's when I get the rest of the 23 hours of the day, I'm not supposed to talk to him. Or, but if I'm going to talk to him the other 23 hours of the day, I've got to, most of the time, pray quickly, pray silently, and pray instantly. As I walk through, go through about my day as I talk to people, if you've been in my office and you, you come in for counseling, and maybe you come in by yourself, maybe you come in with your family, maybe you come, a husband and wife came in, can I confess something to you? I was praying more than I was listening to you. How can I help these? I'm just, I'm just Mark Atherton, 423 Wood Street, Maysville, Kentucky. I mean, me, I, I'm supposed to say something intelligent here? I mean, God, you've got to give me something here. This, this couple's going to kill one another if you don't give me something here. But that's a silent prayer. And that's a quick prayer. And praying instantly. If you don't practice those three things and regulate your prayer time to your devotions, which are well and good, but there's another 23 and a half hours of the day, You'll never move forward in prayer if prayer doesn't become natural and can come from your lips quickly, silently, and instantly. The book of Nehemiah is not a book that we hang out in very, very often, but Nehemiah is interesting what Nehemiah did for a living. Nehemiah got paid to drink alcohol. The Bible says he was the... The Bible says he was the cupbearer for the king. And you know what his job was? I, before the king drank anything, and usually it was wine then, um, he had to taste it to make sure it wasn't poison. And the king would watch him drink it in his presence. If he didn't fall down dead, then the king would drink it. Now, I, that's, that's the way it is. That's what, that was his job. He got paid to drink. <laughs> and he said he was the cupbearer for the Lord. So, he, so one, one day the, the text tells us in Nehemiah chapter 2, the text tells us that Nehemiah in the month of Nisan, whatever that is, in the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so he was sad in his presence this time. And for him to say I had not been sad in his presence before, he had to be sad this time. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? when you're not ill this can be nothing but sadness of heart and I was very much afraid and why was he very much afraid because you could lose your life by coming into the king with a sad heart it was not the acceptable way to approach a king in those times but I said to the king may the king live forever is this the way you greeted the king back in those days okay may the king live forever why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are, buried, are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He's talking about Jerusalem. How can I not be sad when Jerusalem, the walls have been taken down and, and it's been destroyed? How can I not be sad when the, the city of my ancestors is that way? Then the king responds and the king said to me, what is it you want? And then look what he said. Then I prayed to God. Now, he's standing in front of the king, right? 
that, that, that couldn't have, he, he didn't go to his knees. He didn't just stop and spend 10 minutes in prayer. That had to be a quick, silent, and instant prayer. God help me. God help me say the right thing. God grant me favor in front of the king. That's all that could have been. And how necessary is that for us today? In all walks of our life, God grant me favor here. Lord, help me. That I can pray quickly. That I can pray instantly. I may be a big prayer warrior for an hour over here, but if I don't pray in the rest of the day, then I'm running around the rest of the day with, with doing it myself. But if I learn to pray quickly and instantly and silently, when there's an important time comes up during the day, I can shoot an arrow real quick. And I think God appreciates those arrows as much as he appreciates this hour because those arrows shows that you have faith and trust and know you can't do it by yourself. So our story continues here. And so he said he prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the rest of the book is about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But before he made his request, before he made his request, he says, I pray to the God of heaven. I have a lot of people that um, we have a lot of people in in our world today that say they can't come to church because they work on Sundays. I get that. I really do. But I wonder if you would walk into your boss, say, "Lord, help me, give me grace." Say, "Mr. Boss, I really, really." Appreciate it if you could schedule me after noon on Sundays so I can go to church. And as you were talking with him, you're saying, Lord, this is not about me. This is about you. Would you grant me favor in Mr. Boss's eyes here? That's trust. That's real trust. And boss may say no. Boss may say no. Well, what have you lost? You, 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 you certainly have got the shine of God on your life because you went right into Mr. Boss trusting God and said, God, help me do this. How many times do we need to send up those quick flares to God that are just as much as an example of trust and faith and confidence as spending an hour here. I'm, there's nothing wrong with doing this. You're not hearing me say that. I'm just saying there's more to prayer than this. How in the world can I fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5.16 or somewhere around there that says pray without ceasing? I cannot pray without ceasing unless I pray silently, instantly, and quickly. There's no way I can pray without ceasing. I just wonder how many of us in our day-to-day -day lives, I see Missy Sanders back there. She's a school teacher. Boy, she better be praying all day long. <laughs> who in the world, who in the world is silly enough to believe there's no prayer in schools? Because you've got Christian teachers that are praying all day long. When that parent comes in that their little Johnny never does anything wrong, oh, God, help me. You just won't move forward in, in prayer, friends, till you understand who God is, his character, his gracious character that he wants to hear from you, and he just doesn't want to get you off his back. And you'll never move forward in prayer unless you learn this quickly business, 
silently and instantly as you go through your day, not depending on yourself, but praying without ceasing. Now let me finish with this. I go back to the very first verse that tells us why this was written, that this whole parable is told in Luke 18. It was told so we could always pray and not give up. So you all, that was the reason this was told. Because if, if an earthly judge gets tired of hearing, hearing of you and will answer, how much more the Heavenly Father will answer as well? So I started thinking, I said, why do people give up in prayer? Why, why, why is it that we just, um, just, we just give up and stop praying about that or this or we once really had a good prayer life, but now we don't? You know, why is it? And that's, I think, a lar- larger reason is that, that because God seems to not answer our prayer, God seems silent, or maybe the answer was no. Ted Turner, who owns CNN for a long time, some of you older folks will remember his name, owned Atlanta Braves for a long time. Ted Turner was going to be a Christian missionary until his sister got cancer. And Ted prayed for her healing, and it never came, and she died at a young age. And Ted is quoted now that saying Christians are ignorant, God never answered my prayer. Sometimes no answers to prayer. The answer no, N-O, or not getting an answer, no answer, can make people give up. So let me finish here with nothing more than a, than a short little Bible study on why prayers many times aren't answered. That answer may be no, I can't do that, or that answer just may be silence. Because I think people give up for both of those reasons. Go to James chapter 4, and you read a little bit about prayer. The Bible says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. I don't know what that little phrase means, kill. I preached a message on abortion there one time. I don't know if that was a good interpretation or not, though. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. There's that verse I quoted earlier. Even though there's a whole lot of things I've gotten in prayer that I never asked for. And then going down, it says, when you ask, you do not receive. Here it is. Because you ask with the wrong motives. Why, Why does somebody maybe get a no answer to prayer or no answer, a silence? Right there, it's black and white. You don't need a biblical interpreter. You don't need a preacher to explain that to you. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And then he gives this one example of wrong motives there. There could be how many examples of wrong motives. So silence is the response that you get from prayer or no is the answer that came back. And you may give up, but maybe you just better check your motive. Was my motive right? Was it just all about me and in this, in this instance that you may spend what you get on your pleasures? And then he just continues right from there. I'm not leaving out anything. He just continues from there. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy with God. He goes right away to sin. In this whole context of prayer, he immediately goes to sin. But you can't be friend of the world and friend with, with God either. I like the way Psalm 66 verse 18 says it. It says, if I had cherished, listen, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So, Mark, you got to be sinless to pray, right? No, it's not at all what it says. Look at the verse. If I had cherished 
sin in my heart. If I had cherished, I really, really like it. I'm going to move in with her no matter what God says about it. If I cherished, cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So it seems to me, I mean, you don't need, I don't, you don't need a biblical interpreter here. It seems to me that one reason we may get silence or a no is that there's sin. Oh, not the kind of sin that says, oh, God, don't let me do that again. That's not cherishing sin. God, don't let me talk to her that way again. That's not cherishing sin in your heart. I'll talk to her anyway. I want to talk to her. That's cherishing sin in your heart. That's cherishing sin in your heart. And the text says, the Lord will not listen if you cherish, if you cherish sin in your heart. I'm, I'm just talking to you some reasons that people may give up. So, some reasons that, that, that people may give up in prayer is, is a no answer to prayer or maybe just silence. Here's one that'll tickle your bones. It does mine. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Do you know this verse was in the Bible? Husbands! Talking to husbands now. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. Wow. So if I don't treat Sue the way I should treat her, that can hinder my prayer life? I mean, I'm not making it up. Well, that's got to be, well, there's got to be an alternate interpretation to that somewhere. <laughs> so marital conflict could hinder our prayers. I'm just saying, people give up because God's silent. People give up because God don't answer their prayers. Why are some reasons God doesn't answer their prayers? Can I tell you something? Almost. Not 100%, but almost. Almost 100% of the time that I've had a husband and wife in front of me with marital problems, what I wanted to scream to them, I didn't. But what I wanted to scream to them was just be a Christian. You got a friend, an old girlfriend that you're Facebook friends with. Be a Christian and have nothing to do with it. You're prideful and stubborn and won't give in and just be a Christian. Don't cherish sin in your heart. Just be a Christian. Well, he taught y'all hear the way he talks to me. So just be a Christian, sir. It's an awesome thing to think about that we may not be getting answers to our prayers. Because there's marital conflict and they hinder our prayers. <laughs> James chapter 1. Just, just a couple more here, I'm going to let you go. Aren't you having fun? Aren't you having fun? It's just the Bible. It's just the Bible. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now, that doesn't mean when I pray for your cancer, 
that I'm just 1,000% confident that God is going to lay his hand on you and heal you of cancer because let's be honest, okay? Let's all be honest here. But what it means is I have no doubt that he's powerful enough to do it. That's what it means. That I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that God is God, and if he chooses to lift this cancer instantly, he can do that. That God is God. Well, God, this, I know this is a real tough one here for you, though, God. I, I don't know if you can do this one or not. If you really, there's, there's some story I just thought of, and I don't know where it is. You know, somebody said, if, can you do anything about it? If you can, said it to Jesus. That person that's doubting, look at the last verse. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I have confident expectation that God is God and he can do what he chooses to do. And I lay it at his feet and entrust it to his will. But I don't demand on his will and say, this is what you have to do because I'm believing so much. That puts it all on me. The answer to prayer should be put on God, not on me and my faith. But God, I know that your arm is not shortened. And if you choose to do this, it is nothing impossible with God. Proverbs 21, 13 says that if, um, if I turn my ear to Jason Brunk, if I turn my ear to the poor, I'll cry out and not be answered. It's not a feel-good message, man. I mean, but I don't want you to give up in prayer. And I know a reason that a lot of people give up in prayer is because they don't see that, think their prayers are answered. I'm telling you why the Bible says the prayers are not answered sometimes. And if, if there's something you can correct, why not correct it? Why not correct it? And then finally, one more thing, and I'm letting you go. Sometimes, sometimes he just don't want to because it's not in his will. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I prayed three times about this thorn in the flesh that he talks about in verse 7. That three times I prayed about this. But, but he said to me, that'd be God, basically, no, I ain't going to do it. I'll get you through it, though. I mean, that's the Mark Atherton translation. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do this for you, Paul, but I'll get you through it. It just wasn't in his will. Well, why? I don't know. I have no clue why God wouldn't want to take whatever the thorn in the flesh was for the Apostle Paul. We don't know what that was. I have no clue. Not the first clue. But God basically said, I, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. But I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. It's just not his will. And there's mystery about the will of God, isn't there? Great mystery. And if, if I just lean on my own understanding, then I'll get mad like Ted Turner and say heck with it. He didn't heal my sister and heck with, heck with God, heck with Christianity. Or I realize that he's God and I'm not. And his will is good. It's acceptable and perfect, Romans chapter 12. And I can deal with a no answer the same way that I can deal with a yes answer. And I'm just as much a Christian with a no answer as I am with a yes answer. I know this. You will not move forward in your Christian life, wherever you're at right now. You will not move forward without prayer. It's a, it's a next step, and it's a continual next step. And maybe you're one of the people that can, that can spend an hour here. God bless you. Please pray for me every single morning. I just, God bless you. But you know, if we're just, let's just all be honest here. 
you know as well as I, you're not like that, are you? Maybe a few of you are, but most of us aren't. And it doesn't mean we're bad Christians because we're ordinary Christians. This, this, this church is filled with ordinary Christians. It's like any church is filled with ordinary Christians. It's not like this church is lacking in prayer power. No, we're ordinary folks. And the gift that has been given to some people here is not given to many. But we all can pray quickly and silently and instantly. And after all, if this is all we pray, I, pray, I put my eye in and I don't have to do any more, what kind of a Christian life is that? And how do you work out the verse that says pray without ceasing? <laughs> One of the reasons that we finish our service in, at the table is just an exhibition of trust and faith in God. And that's what I said. I, that's what I know prayer is. There's a lot of things I don't know about prayer. But I know as we come forward each Sunday and take of the bread and of the cup, we're reminded that our hope and trust is in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that's a good thing to be reminded of. I've told you before, Brandon Hancock had to bring me kicking and screaming to communion every Sunday. I resisted it for two or three years, but I wouldn't have it any other way now. Because every Sunday, I'm reminded that my faith and hope and trust is in God. And every time I pray, I'm reminded that my trust is not in myself, but it's in God. And that's a very good reminder to have on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, even moment-by-moment way. Our servers are coming to the table. You, you may want to come forward to receive. You may want to pray at the, at the altar about prayer or the mystery or something. I don't know. You may want to wait until I lead you through. For those of you that are receiving your seats this morning, but let's come forward and be reminded this morning of where our hope and trust is, and that hope and trust should prompt prayer in our life as well. Our tables are open.